Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. Hey everybody, it's Jeff Dwoskin. Great to be back in your ears for this special Thursday episode of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dwoskin Show. This show is a little different than the Monday show. This one features highlights from Crossing the Streams. That's a live show that I do with a bunch of my friends every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm sure you've heard me mention it on the podcast previously. You're always asking yourself, what TV shows and movies should I be binge watching? I've got a million streaming services. Well, you've come to the right place because these highlight episodes are going to showcase great shows that you should be watching. You can also head over to YouTube, watch full episodes, and keep up with us weekly as we do them live. Crossing the streams, the core group is myself, comedians Bob Phillips and Sal D'Amelio, and lifelong friends Ron Lippett and Howard Rosner. We get together, we just talk about TV shows that we love, and we invite friends along to talk about TV shows that they love. With hopes when you hear them, you'll fall in love with the shows too. Check them out and fill up your days with amazing television goodness. This bonus episode, we've got some awesome highlights from across the Crossing the Streams catalog. We're pulling from episodes 34, 39, and episode 42. Bob Phillips is going to be talking about deceptive practice, the mysteries and mentors of Ricky Jay. Friend of the show, Jeffrey Calhoun, is going to talk about Squid Game. And Sal D'Amelio is going to talk about The Last Paradiso. So much fun awaits you, so let's get right to it. Let's kick off with Bob Phillips and Deceptive Practice, The Mysteries and Mentors of Ricky Jay. Speaking of uh, top 30, let's get into Deceptive <laughs> Practice, The Mysteries and Mentions of Ricky Jay. Now, for, the, for those uh, fans that have hung around the show for a while, this was almost the curse of Ricky Jay in the sense that it was Bob... <laughs> wasn't even around last time. I'm like, we did this one. No, we didn't because Bob didn't make it to that part of the show. So, uh, and he almost didn't make it today. I was like, oh no, the curse this is of the Ricky third Jay. attempt. The curse of Ricky Jay. So hurry up, talk fast. <laughs> okay. Ricky Jay uh, <laughs> is one of these people, you, you think you, you don't know him, but you know him. You've seen him a million times, but he's always, uh, he's a character. He was a character actor. Uh, but just, he, he was, he, he kind of forced himself to do that. He was in Boogie Nights. He was in, um, let's see, uh, a lot of David Mamet films like the uh, Spanish prisoner, uh, house of games. Uh, let me look over here at my, uh, the prestige, which is a great movie about magic. And when you see his face, now that particular thing that you saw there, you, you wouldn't recognize him for that, but if you saw his regular acting uh, headshot, you would instantly recognize him as that guy who's always interesting, who's just always this uh, guy who shows up in movies of crime, uh, you know, like heist movies, like movies about magic, movies about, uh, well, you know, Mamet goes with his uh, movies. But anyhow, Ricky Jay, to me, is one of the most fascinating figures of all time. I love, I, I used to be a magician when I was a kid. I did, you know, kids' parties and all that stuff. And, uh, but, but Ricky Jay was probably the best close-up magician of his generation. 
And he said famously that uh, he knows nothing of the 20th century and that and, and literally everything about him was sort of pulled from the 19th century. Every every part of his act, everything that he did. In fact, he didn't really have an act. He was just so amazing that other magicians were would just bow to him. I mean, these these jokers in Vegas, I mean, Chris Angel you know, Copperfield, they, they, they couldn't do what Ricky Jay could do. This guy was right, you were right on top of him and he was, you know, completely fooling you and other magicians. One of the things I loved about him, and then it shows up in this documentary, is that he has almost zero time for his past. He doesn't talk about, he just doesn't talk about his childhood. He doesn't talk about uh, anything but these old geezers that he that he sought out uh, in the flim flam game and the con man game and the magician game to teach him how to be this person he became. In fact, this is I love this quote. I have to look over here to, to, to grab it. Uh, when talking about his uh, his father, this is, this is the only quote he, he gives about his, his parents. He said, my father oiled his hair with Brill cream and brushed his teeth with Colgate. He kept his toothpaste in the medicine cabinet and the brill cream in a closet about a foot away. Once when I was 10, I switched the tubes. All you need to know about my father is that after he brushed his teeth with brill cream, he put the toothpaste in his hair. This is his, this is all he says about his, his upbringing, his, the, the parents that he was with. He has no time for them. They were completely incidental. He went, uh, when he was seven, he embarked on this and, you know, it, and at 10, he made up his mind he was going to be the world's greatest close-up magician. Well, um, people have, uh, over the years, watched him. And you can, you can YouTube some of his stuff. And uh, you see the joy that he, that he, in, uh, with which he performs. But what he, uh, what he ultimately says about himself, which I find so fascinating, he says, this is all I am. This is me. This is all I've ever wanted to be. They keep trying to put me in movies. I don't want to be in the movies. But he knows David Mamet, so Mamet says you got to be in my movie. And then uh, Paul was it Paul Thomas Anderson that uh, directed Boogie Nights? That's right. Said you got to be in my movie. He says I don't want to be in your movie. He says you're you're going in my movie. So he's got these wonderful roles, but but his life, his legacy was just a uh, an amazing. Um, uh, body of close-up work, inventing illusions and freaking people out from coast to coast. But also, um, he, he, he. What's kind of funny about it, that mo- the, the the documentary is called "Deceptive Practices." Deceptive, yes, that is what magic is all about. But Ricky Jay was anything but deceptive. He was always upfront. He was always honest about what he was doing. He was never. He never really went into the con game. He never went into uh, being a flim flam guy, but he said he was always drawn to it. And he evaded that, wound up becoming very wealthy, very well known. Uh, and I just uh, I, I just think that anybody who's into, uh, you know, real, real uh, close up magic, check this out. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. Hmm. I'm going to check. He's in Deadwood. Yes, he was in Deadwood. That's right. Where is it streaming? This is on Netflix. Oh, on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, it's a 2012 documentary, I think. He died in 18. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. So, uh, (laughs) I don't know why every everything today is triggering a horrible 
memory of mine. But the, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh preemptively, but what, what now? Um, so as Sal and Bob would know this one. So this is funny. So we knew a magician who was also a comedian. His name was Scott Loftus. And so Scott Loftus was a magician. And I remember, this had to have been seven or so years ago. um, I said to him, oh, you should do my daughter's birthday. So this would have, she would have been maybe 14 or something at the time. Young, young girl. Uh, But uh, just the right age for somebody who who then ends up in a uh, sex sting like a you know, like a, uh, what is it Child called? Day, like, dayline, Dayline. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, where you think you're going to pick up a, have, you know, have sex with a no, like Chris Matthews, no, what was no. his name? Yeah. So just, Chris, to know, just, Hansen? just, you know, it was, such big, it was such big news in the local area. It actually yeah, it bested, was. it bested, um, it was, uh, the doc Kevorkian. It's hunger strike in jail, but mm. here's the best part of the story. One, I never told my wife, and she, she'd have to watch this to find out. I never told my <laughs> wife I had hired a pedophile by accident <laughs> to be at my daughter's party. And two, when the news put his, I'm dating myself again, MySpace page on the news, I was in his top eight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, that's really all right. That's, what, you really way to bring it home. Attract, you really attract some interesting characters, Jeff. I got to uh, tell you, my roommate I, and then this guy. Wow. And, and somehow what? never had therapy. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. You decided Jeff. to have a podcast. Yes, I have a podcast and stuff. Oh, um, cool. Now, you know what, Bob? I got to tell you, I thought this was some murder mystery about some weird deviant when i looked at the thing and now i can't yeah. wait to see it yeah so. yeah he's a really cool dude Le- you yeah, didn't recognize guy. him i didn't recognize him from the poster yeah so. i don't know why they made the poster that way it's it's strange it made him look uh macabre or something lee says hmm. wow wow <laughs> uh, bob was, <laughs> was way, he on uh, uh sorry was he on carson at oh, all or was he what, what? Was he on Carson or Letterman or any of the, any of the? Yeah, he went on Carson a lot, um, and yeah, okay. uh, I don't know if he was on Letterman, but uh, he was beloved uh, out out in L.A. The Comedy and Magic Store, and uh, it's just just a he died when not you, too when, long ago. Yeah, just a couple years ago, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, really <laughs> cool dude. Very cool. That was awesome, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Job, nice job. Nice job. That was really I'm watch cool. everything we've uh, talked about tonight. I know we got it. That's the whole point of the show, Sal. Yeah. If you do watch or have watched Deceptive Practices, the Mysteries and Mentors of Ricky J, let us know at Jeff Dewaskin Show. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Up next, let's jump into Squid Game with Jeffrey D. Calhoun. And we got a new one coming up. This one I'm really interested in hearing about, Squid Game. This mm. There's a lot of, of uh, talk about this one, so I'm really interested to hear what you have to say, Jeffrey. Oh, Squid Game is awesome. So it's a Korean drama with a horror element to it, um, and it essentially is about desperate people who are an exceptional amount of debt, and they are approached by someone who offers to give them money if they agree to play a game. They have to sign a contract and they sign the contract, they can play the game. Now they get in and the, and the promise is that they're going to make so much money, they'll pay off all of their debts and more. 
And so everybody takes it very lightheartedly. They get in there and it's kind of weird. Everybody uh, shows up for a van, they're captured and then taken into a warehouse where they have to play the game. Um, the squid game isn't something you see until the end of the show. So it's actually a series of kids games. And I don't mind spoiling the first episode. They play red light, green light, which is that's what you're seeing right there on that um, poster you just showed us. Um, and so no big deal until somebody says red light and then someone takes a step and they get drilled in the head by a sniper and you go, okay, this is uh, this is next level stuff. And it's really great. What I really appreciate about this is the main character. This is so hard to pull off the main character. You do not like him at all. There is no likability and it's actually very difficult to sympathize or empathize with him. They did that on purpose. They did seed in little moments where like the guy steals from his mother and you're like, oh, I don't like this guy at all. But then you realize he steals from his mother because he is so broke. He's playing a, a, an arcade grab machine to try and win his daughter a gift for her birthday. Mm. So just really intelligent writing like that can make you hate a guy, but then like a guy and can manipulate the reader, the audience at that type of level is really difficult to do. And these guys pull it off. So you get to watch this guy who was really at the bottom of his barrel grow throughout the entire series. I mean, it's fascinating. And they pepper all kinds of amazing side characters in there from a deranged old man with Alzheimer's who is having the time of his life by the way, as he's playing these games and everybody's being killed to him, who's who's scared shitless. And then his best friend, who was this uh, entrepreneurial businessman that everybody really respects, but there's something hidden about him. And then you realize the the inner monsters within some of the characters versus the inner angels. It's actually it's it's a really great show and it pulls you. And I mean, it had me by the end of episode one. It usually takes about three shows to grab me when Netflix did their metrics, they said it takes about three episodes to hook an audience and create a binge watch there um, because your, your, your brain actually um, releases the happy chemicals that make you want to keep watching. So binge watchings can actually kind of become a form of addiction. So, but they had me after the end of episode one. Hmm. Wow. Are you, are you sensing that there is a, uh, a strengthening of the, of the Korean uh, movie making and, and show making uh, capability because I I am seeing so much great content out of Korea uh, over the last just well couple I, of years I wouldn't say it's just Korea I mean I would say it's Japan I mean Alice in Borderland is a fantastic show that's Japanese uh, Norwegian shows are picking up I think it's called Dark so I think what I'm hoping is that American audiences are becoming more open to foreign shows whereas before what we would have would be like the office right which was which was a remake of a successful british show uh same with house of cards which was another Mm -hmm. remake of a british show so i think instead of having to remake these shows for an american audience now we can really enjoy the original versions of these shows yeah Yeah. which are which are usually good i mean i enjoyed you know Ricky's uh Ricky's office. I enjoyed that a lot. So, you know, I, I wouldn't know it for without uh, companies like Netflix doing stuff like this. So it's, yeah. it's exciting to see. Well, like well, like that uh, Utopian show that came out on Amazon, it lasted a season and then it was canceled. Well, that was originally a British show and Amazon released the original show, which you got two seasons on. I was like, that that was a good show. I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, it's way better yeah. than than the American version. So I, I think there's a new show coming out called Ghosts. 
that it was based on some UK thing. Oh, yeah. hey, real quick, uh, friend of the show, we're going to test to see uh, if we have somebody on Fireside that I brought up. So, oh. Brian, are you there? Hey, guys, how are you? Oh, hey, that's, that's super cool. Fireside. How Fire. cool is this? Brian, Brian uh, Green uh, from the Commercial Break Podcast, everybody. Friend nice. of the show, been on the show a couple times. Brian, welcome to WKL. <laughs> Brian, do you have a story about a shoelace gone bad? Uh, I actually just bought a series of shoelaces that are very colorful. They're uh, brightly colored with patterns. And my wife said, you will never put those on your feet. So uh, if anybody needs any brightly colored shoelaces, let me know. <laughs> they are on Facebook Marketplace right now. Awesome. All right. Well, that's Fireside. How cool is that? So that's coming through my phone, through the Rodecaster, into the studio. You, we can hear them. They can hear us. This is a revolutionary new approach. Brian Green, ins- instrumental in helping me set this up. Thank you so well, much. Well, I'm glad you got it done. And you guys, I just I want to let you know that I know he wants to test me coming up here. But everyone sounds great. You're coming through picture perfect. And um, congratulations on your first fireside. I'll let the show continue without further interruption. All right, I'm going to practice now kicking you off this. Go <laughs> kick me. Okay, very cool. All right. How cool, how cool is that, guys? That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome, Jeff. We have majorly upped our game at this point. Big time. So, uh, yeah, that's that's super fun. Um, let Jeff stew in that successful moment. That was yeah. kind of cool. Well, so I just just getting back real quick because I, I, do, I do believe – um, to your point that, um, you know, shows from other countries, shows from different cultures uh, have found their stride in um, streamable platforms. I, I, I think, you know, under traditional theater based models, I don't know that people are willing to make the investment or the risk, um, the time on a Friday or Saturday right. night to, to try it out. But when you're on your couch and it's sitting there on Netflix and the algorithm says you're going to like it, it might be worth a flyer on it. And I think that drives participation and, and some of the right. changes. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to add on to that, what because uh, I have a couple of buddies that are in Cali that are actors and, and filmmakers themselves. And it a lot of people are kind of are scared of the, the streaming phenomenon that's happening right now because, you know, they think it's going to be the end of making movies. And things. I think it's the, the complete opposite. I think, you know, we're going to see a lot of countries that we wouldn't have the opportunity to going into like an AMC or Regal Cinema because now these people are not going to invest money into selling those movies to these big movie theaters to get it in the United States, they're just going to up the production value of the actual film and go yeah. to a streaming service. And they could right. do all that from their own country, whether it's UK or China or Korea. Or so I think it's going to up the ante for movies and it's going to make, uh, you know, that, that pleasure of watching a movie at home even better. So, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to see that stuff. squid game looks awesome. So I'm going to check that out. So good review. Jay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check, check it out, out as well. Out. Hello to Carmen, by the way. Hello to hey, Carmen. Hatton. And Lee, Mick. Always. Lee is always, Lee was actually early today, but she's hey, Lee. I know Squid Game is a hot show right now. If you've seen it, tweet at us at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Let us know what you thought. Or if you haven't seen it, let us know that you did see it. After listening to the show, you heard Brian Green in the last segment joining us live on Fireside on Wednesdays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can do that, too. If you have an Apple phone, you can download the Fireside app and listen along. And I'll bring you on stage and you can talk about the show that we're talking about or any of the ones that we've talked about in the past. So definitely check that out. You also heard friend of the show, Tony Brardo on there. It's a live show. You never know what voices you're going to hear or who we're going to talk to from the audience. It's live. It's crazy. All right. Up next, Sal D'Amelio. Can't wait to talk to you about The Last Paradiso. 
Okay. All right. Well, um, this is the exciting part of the show where we where we turn it over to Sal. We never know what's going to happen. The last Paradiso. <laughs> this is another movie probably Zach hasn't seen. This is uh, The Last Paradiso. This is a foreign film. This is an Italian foreign film. Um, let me tell you who it's uh, directed and written by. I don't want to ruin their names because they're more Italian than me. It's directed by <laughs> Rocco Riccadulli, who plays uh, uh, the lead character's father in the movie. Uh, he directed it, and he also co-wrote it with Riccardo Scaranuccio, who plays Ciccio, and he's the main uh, main character. So I uh, wanted to give you that. So this takes place in Italy. It's a small town in Italy, and it, it kind of hit home to me because that's where my parents are from. So don't picture Rome or Milan or one of those. Picture like a small town in the middle of Italy. This might have been filmed in um, in Sicily, but I'm not sure. I could not find anything on where this was filmed. I, I don't know why. But uh, anyway, um, so think a small town in Italy. And basically, this, this there's probably 2,000 people that live in this town, maybe not even that. And uh, they're farmers. So I'll just picture they're farmers or olive farmers. And then there's a uh, there's a landlord of the land that owns all the land. And he's the rich dude and everybody works for him. So it's that kind of field, which is very similar to my mom and dad. My mom and dad did that. They plowed fields early, early in their life. Uh, so it kind of hit home to me like that. Um, but basically, obviously, the rest of it has nothing to do with my mom and dad because the shit that happens here. It's kind of a romantic uh, Italian drama film. And so basically there's there, there's the premise of it or there's the uh, location. And then the lead guy, Ciccio, is, uh, he's uh, a guy that kind of sleeps around the town, uh, sleeps with a lot of women in the town, and he's married with three kids. And he's one of these olive farmers, and he's kind of like the, the lead of all the other farmers. So he's like more educated than them. He speaks out. And um, they don't get paid very well. And one night in the bar, he kind of goes up to – uh, the landlord, who's like this domineering character, and just tells them that, you know, we need to make more money. And, you know, we don't, you know, we work all year and you're paying us for like three, four months worth of uh, work. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, we're, we're just going to sell the olives to somebody else. And he's causing a lot of havoc. Now he's sleeping with this guy's daughter. He falls in love with this girl named Bianca, even though he's married and his wife knows he's sleeping with her. And the whole town kind of knows. And he's just falling in love with her. He wants to marry her. And his wife knows he's sleeping with her. The whole town kind of knows. And he's just falling in love with her. He wants to marry her. And his wife, what's going on? Is there something going on? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Oh, I, you're, heard, yeah. I felt like I heard myself back. Did you guys hear that? Oh, okay. I, that was, that was it weird. was so good. We had to hear it three times. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I was hearing myself review it. So anyway, uh, uh, so basically, he's sleeping w- uh, with this with this girl, and the father finds out. Father eventually finds out because the whole town knows. His wife knows. Spoiler alert! Like uh, Tony said, basically the father the, the father murders him. and says, "Hey, I want to meet you out in the field and talk to you about uh, maybe doing some business." And he just he tells him the soil is great, and the guy leans down, Chicho, he hits him over the head with a with a shovel, kills him. I got to tell you all this because it's part of the movie. Anyway, and it's early on in the movie, so you're like, what? I mean, I was blown away because I thought this guy was going to be in the movie the whole time. Well, he is because now he's dead, but his brother, who they never show, lives in France. He kind of moved away, and it's the same actor, and he's got like a mustache. He makes himself look a little different, and he comes to town to kind of place revenge on the man that killed his brother 
And then, uh, and, and I don't want to spoil it, but I don't want to tell the rest of the movie, but that's kind of the gist of it. Um, it's in subtitles if you want, like somebody said earlier. I loved it in uh, speaking uh, Italian because I understood it. And the, I watched a little bit of it in English, and I'm like, nah, it's not, you know, it's, it wasn't that good in English. But uh, in Italian, I think these actors did a great job. Uh, it had a great cast. Um, uh, the cinematography was great, the location, the scenes, and all that were great. Not enough jokes. Not enough jokes, Jeff. Uh, no, <laughs> never, there never no is. Jokes, no never. jokes. But uh, all in all, I thought it was good. I'm going to give it, uh, for a foreign film and a Netflix film, I'm going to give it four tomato sauce jars. Oh, uh, nice. I thought it was a very, very good film. Um, uh, only about an hour. I think it's hour and 47 minutes. I read some reviews on it. It was very hard to find reviews on this. There was a review from Digital Mafia Talkies. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. Yeah. Digital Mafia Talkies. Uh, they reviewed it, and they kind of felt the same way I did. They said it was good acting, but they thought that the premise was great, but it kind of could have used a little bit more, like a little bit more to it. Almost, like, it kind of reminded me of the talented Mr. Ripley in a way, the way it was, uh, the way it was uh, just shot and everything. But uh, I thought it needed a little bit more as well. But I mean, overall, I thought it was a really good movie. If you're into the foreign films and you're in the subtitle films, I thought it was really good. I, I highly recommend it if you're a Netflix uh, subscriber. Hey, Sal, it sounded like it uh, it needed a little bit more of a Scorsese twist to it. Just a little, a little. Yes. Bit. Yeah, a little more killing. Yeah. Right? A little more killing. <laughs> Only one guy dies, and that's Chicho. So there's no other deaths in it. Uh, the actresses are absolutely beautiful. Bianca is beautiful. His wife is beautiful. I mean, it's great, great actors in it and actresses. Um, very well done. Very well done. I give these guys uh, four, four tomato sauce jars. That's awesome. Yes. And uh, I just want to point out Scott Curtis has been trolling us. <laughs> Scott, thank you, Scott. All right. Sal always picks the most interesting shows to talk about. Ones I've never heard of. I've never heard of. Love that guy. Also, you never know how many tomato sauce jars he's going to give. Sometimes he's generous. Sometimes he, uh, you know, he doesn't love them as much. Tune in live and you can hear his reviews as they happen. So that completes this bonus episode. Three great things for you to check out. Full episodes are all available on YouTube. We have over 50 hour-long episodes on YouTube you can dive into, or you can just wait for the bonus episodes to feed you these smaller chunks. Either way, we're here for you to make sure that you're using your TV to its fullest potential. Today's episode was Squid Game, The Last Paradiso, and Deceptive Practices, the story of Ricky Jay. All great shows. Check them out. If you have a show that you want us to review that we haven't talked about, tweet us at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit us during our live episode. Chat along with us. Until then, go cross your own streams and don't let anyone tell you you can't. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.